All right, so tonight we'll be in the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians, chapter 1. The first of a couple of uh, small letters that Paul wrote. Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or I, I like that. Gentiles eat pork chops. And so we're talking about the Gentiles there in the church of Galatia, which are going to be infiltrated by these false teachers known as the Judaizers. They're going to come in. They're going to start teaching these Gentiles that, hey, in order for you really to be saved, you need to keep the law. You need to do works. And Paul is going to write and tell them really to abide in grace, which is the theme of of this book. So let's pray, and let's see what the Lord has for us. So Lord, we come to you tonight, Lord, and ask that you would continue to bless us. Thank you for the worship. Lord, just a chance, Lord, to express our heart to you. Lord, you've been so good to us, Lord, and Lord, we know that you want to work in us, Lord, and through us, and so Lord, we just pray that your spirit would have his way among us, that he would teach us and grow us, Lord, that you would equip us for the work of the ministry, Lord. Lord, that you would disciple us personally, Lord. And so, Lord, we just submit to you tonight and ask that you would uh, do a good work in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm, I'm calling this study tonight the message of grace because Paul is going to talk about uh, the gospel of grace. Now, we're all familiar with the question, is that a hill you want to die on? Or we've all heard the phrase, that's not a hill I want to die on. So this question or, or idiom looks at our choices, principles, or views from a military perspective. Just as a general has to determine whether the benefits outweigh the costs, say, in taking a fortified hill that is occupied by the enemy, we have to determine whether a choice that we make, a principle or a view that we're holding, you know, is, you know, is this just my opinion or is this something really I want to die on? You know, do you really want to argue whether the Patriots really you know, deflated the footballs. Is that really important, you know, kind of thing? Is that something you really want to die over? Because, you know, some people are very serious about it. But, you know, are, or is this just my opinion? Is this just something that we can choose to agree to, to disagree on? Now, if we can interview Paul, like a reporter does, you know, say in the middle of the game, you know, at, at halftime, interview the coach. If we can interview Paul in the middle of writing this defense of his apostleship, and the fact that believers are saved by faith alone, apart from works, and ask him, Paul, is this really a hill that you want to die on? People might get offended, Paul, by you writing this. They might even have their feelings hurt. I believe and I know that Paul would say yes. We know this because Galatians 1.10 says that Paul believed that God was pleased by him preaching and defending the gospel of grace. Also, Paul lived and he taught that the gospel of grace is the only means to save this lost world in which we live in. Paul in Romans 1.16 said this, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In Galatians 1.3-4, Paul said, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So Paul and the New Testament writers, just like us, were living in an evil age, what they considered an evil age. Just like our day, their world was filled with false religions. Paul, um, in, in uh, the book of Acts, chapters 13 and 14, they thought he was um, Hermes and Barnabas Zeus. They tried to worship him. And so there was all kinds of crazy false religion going on in Galatia. Just like in our day, the world was filled with immorality. 
a number of the large cities had temples dedicated to idols that, where they had these temple prostitutes that worshipped through sexual rituals. Just like in our day, the world was filled with racism and social injustice. Rome was built and maintained by slave labor, not to mention the gross abuse and immorality that was common among the Greek culture. The Greek culture was crazy. And also, just like our day, there was physical suffering and there was poverty. Yet despite these conditions, Paul did not take his focus off the gospel. Paul even considered it essential to write six chapters to defend doctrinally that people aren't to add works to the gospel of grace. You know, today people say, hey, Paul, just forget that doctrinal debate, bro. We just need to lock arms with everybody and just go out and really help the community, help people. Now, yes, the Bible says we should go out and do good. Our world is falling apart, and we should go out and seek to do good and, and to help others. But the focus must always first be the gospel, and, and we must defend the gospel if need be. Paul's passion for the gospel gives us an example of how we're to walk as messengers of grace. And in chapters 1 and 2, we're looking at what it is to be a messenger of grace as Paul defends his apostleship. We're to follow Paul's instruction to imitate him as he imitated Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. So as we continue this defense of Paul's apostleship, we're going to learn even more what it is to be a messenger of grace. We're going to learn our message, which is the gospel of grace. So as we focus on this, we're going to look at two questions tonight. Number one, what is the gospel of grace? And number two, why defend the gospel of grace? So let's focus on our first question. What is the gospel of grace? Now, if you notice in these verses, verses 6 to 10, Paul uses four different terms to describe the gospel. In verse 6, he calls it the grace of Christ. In verse 7, he calls it the gospel of Christ. In verses 8 and 9, he calls it the gospel he preached to them. And in verse 10, he refers to the gospel as that which pleased God. He wasn't seeking to be a man pleaser. He was seeking to please God. And that, the message he preached pleased God. Now, Paul briefly described the gospel in verse 4. He described how the fact that Christ died for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. But really, the clearest description of the gospel that Paul preached, and as well as the other apostles, is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it to you. Here's what Paul said. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, and by which you were also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So that's the gospel. Real simple. Paul said, this is the message that I preached. I received it, I got saved by it, and I preached it to you. Now we can pull out four basic points out of the gospel. Real simple. We all know it. Number one, you're a sinner. Number two, Christ died on the cross for your sins. Christ rose again from the dead the third day. And you must turn from your sin and believe the gospel. Now, the last point has to do with saving faith. That turning from your sin and believing the gospel has to do with faith. The Bible says we're saved by faith. And faith is a two-sided coin. On one side, there's repentance. On the other side, there's believing. Now, this is why these words, repentance and believer, are used interchangeably in the Bible. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, they'll say repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, as Peter did in Acts 2.38. Or sometimes they'll say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's referring to the same aspect. 
Repentance means turning from sin and believing is turning towards God. It's, it's one action. Repentance isn't an, another work. It's just an action of turning to God. You must turn from your sin. And so this was the gospel that Paul preached. And this was the gospel that the Galatians had received and by which they were saved. Now, this is the message that we have. This is our charge. This is our marching orders. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul laid out. It's, it's the same yesterday, today, and it'll be the same forever. It's our charge as believers. It's the simple message that will deliver a person from hell, you know, and it'll give them a life now and also for all eternity. We're missionaries. Wherever God has placed us, we're called to preach this message and to do good works as well. Now, not only are we to preach the gospel, but Paul shows us clearly in these verses, which is really the focus, that we're to defend the gospel if need be. And so in verses 6 through 10, we're going to ask the question, why should we defend the gospel of grace? Well, Paul's going to answer our question with four reasons here as we work through these verses. The first reason is given to us in verse 6. Paul says, we're to defend the gospel, first of all, because a message of faith plus works is a departure from God and his grace. It's really a departure from God and his grace. It's, it's harsh words. Look at verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And so Paul here was shocked. Now, he wasn't shocked by the fact that there was false teachers coming into the church. He expected that. He warned the believers of that. He told the elders there in Acts 20 of Ephesus, hey guys, when I depart, savage wolves are going to come in and they're going to try not to spread the flock. But you guys need to stand strong. Know it. And when he wrote to Timothy and all the other pastors, he told them, hey guys, there's these teachers who preach doctrines of demons. Be ready for it. Be grounded in the faith. Know what you believe. But Paul was really astounded and shocked that these believers who came to Christ to his ministry we're now believing this message that these false teachers were, you know, were, were preaching to them. Not long ago, God, by his spirit in the gospel, drew these believers to himself. You see, they realized that through the preaching of Paul that nothing that they could do can earn them salvation. No works, no religion, only faith in the gospel of Christ. These believers' lives were changed. They were filled with joy. They were set on the path of, of growing with the Lord. Now, soon after Paul left, at some time, these Judaizers, people who came from the Jerusalem, they, they said that they bore authority from the Church of Jerusalem, which the Church of Jerusalem, as we'll see in Acts 2, didn't you know, bear witness to their authority. But they came on, they said, hey guys, did Paul preach to you this message? They said, yeah. They said, well, we have some more things to tell you. We're going to add the law to it, and you, you really you know, need to, to do this and this and this in order to be saved. And these believers started buying into this message this message of legalism. Now, they were starting to leave this understanding of the gospel of grace for this understanding that they need to also keep the law. And Paul considers this turning away from God. Notice this. He says, you're turning away from God. Now, the word turning away is translated in the New American Standard as deserting. This word deserting is a military term that means that these believers were in the process of voluntarily turning away from God and his grace. Now, these guys weren't leaving a non-essential system of, like, church government. And they weren't saying, 
you know, I think we should do this now. Or, you know, or even a view on the end times. But they were turning away from the fact that God saves you by faith alone and by the gospel alone. And Paul says, as a result of doing this, it was distancing them from their relationship with the Lord. How did that happen? Well, I think the story of Cain and Abel is a good example of that. You see, here was these two folks. They approached God, both of them, you know, approached the Lord. But Cain brought to God the works of his hands. And God says, I can't accept that. But Abel, according to God's revelation, by faith, brought this offering. And God says, I accept that. Well, in the same way, here was these believers. They were turning away from God because they were trying to approach God in a way that he has not revealed. God never said that you have to, in, in, in the New Testament age now, keep the law and, and be saved by works. God established that we come to God by his grace and his grace alone. And so they were trying to come to God in a different way. And God wasn't going to receive that. They were turning away from his grace. Now, rather than following God, they were following man. They were following these man-made preachers. Rather than trusting in God and his sufficiency and what he did for the cross, now they were trusting in themselves Trusting in man, which is always a dangerous situation. This is really what legalism does. Take your focus off God and puts it on yourself, which is a very bad thing. As we're going to see in the next verse, Paul's going to say, yeah, these guys troubled you. And it's always troubling when you take your focus off God and start putting it on, on your own works, on your own, on your own merit. Now, the first warning from Paul to show us why we should defend the gospel of grace shows us there's a doctrinal reason and a devotional reason. It's a doctrinal reason and a devotional reason. The doctrinal reason is because there is no salvation apart from the gospel of grace. A person can't be saved by trusting in human works. A person can't be saved by trusting in human merit. We can only be saved by putting our, our faith in the gospel. But there's a practical devotional reason. We should defend the gospel of grace because sadly, legalistic teaching, while it sounds so spiritual and, and, and even helpful, it really does damage to, the bro to our brother and sister in Christ. It's really a loving thing to defend the gospel. Often we think, man, that's going to, am I like splitting hairs now kind of thing? Am I being mean? Well, no, you're not being mean. You're being loving because legalism hurts. Legalism pulls away. Well, what exactly is legalism? Here's one good definition. Legalism is that false principle that God grants acceptance to people, considers them righteous and worthy of being in his presence, on the grounds of their obedience to a set of rules, apart from putting their trust in God, relying on him, loving him, and accepting his love for them. And so these guys came with a legalistic message, and as a result of that, it was putting a wall between them and God. Now, these guys weren't losing their salvation, don't get, you know, don't get me wrong, but it was distancing them from the Lord because they weren't coming to God on the terms that he um, desired. A legalistic message, whatever way you look at it, puts distance in a wall between a person and God. Now, Christ came to tear down that wall. He came to, to rip that veil that separated man from God. Legalism seeks to put that back up. Now, the second reason we see is in verse 7. We see a message of faith plus works is a perversion of the gospel. Paul goes on and talks about this gospel that they were preaching. He says, which is not another... But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so Paul makes it very clear to these people, these believers, you are not to receive the gospel that these guys are preaching to you. And notice some of the things that he says here 
in this verse. Really, there's three things. First, he says that their different gospel was not another. The word not another means not, not another of the same kind. And so the gospel they were preaching was not a slight modification of what Paul brought them. And no doubt, this is really what they were saying. They believed in the content that Paul taught. Of course, Christ died on the cross, rose again from the dead. But they were adding works to it. They were saying, yeah, it's just a slight modification. We really have the further revelation of what, you know, God wants you to believe. And Paul says, don't get me wrong, this is a different gospel. He said, it is not another. It's not, it's, it's not another of the same kind. It, it's totally different. So they are preaching a totally different message from what God has established. Second, their message was not a gospel at all. You see, the word gospel means good news. And these false teachers were not bringing good news. They were bringing bad news. The bad news was that these believers needed to go back under the law. You see, Paul in chapters 3 and 4, he'll tell us, will remind them that the law can't save. The law condemns. It brings the knowledge of sin and death. He'll tell us, cursed are those who don't keep the entire law. And so here's, you know, we're, you know, we're, you know these false teachers, they were coming in, they are saying, hey guys, by the way, you need to start keeping the law now in order to be saved. And Paul says, that's not good news, because you can't keep the law. Curses everyone who doesn't keep the law. And so really, they were putting them back in a position of defeat, in which a person can never be saved by in the first place. Now, Paul goes on here and says that they were troubled, and it's obvious that they were troubled. Now, the word there that, he, that, that, they were, um, the word there that Paul uses for troubled is used a couple different places in the New Testament, and it kind of gives us an idea of kind of what they were feeling. The word troubled was used of Herod at the birth of Jesus in Matthew 2, 3, when he heard that the Messiah was born, we're told that he was troubled. The word there, troubled, is used of the disciples when they saw Jesus walking on the water. The word troubled was used of Zacharias when he saw the angel of the Lord. He was, he was freaked out. And the word troubled was used by Jesus when he said, let not your hearts be troubled. And so here was these believers, man. They were fired up. They were walking in grace. They were filled with joy and, and with what the Lord did. And all of a sudden, here comes these false teachers. And they say, hey, let me talk to you about something. False teachers normally do that. They'll come to believers, right? They always want to come to believers. Why? You know, because, you know, they come to believers and then they'll start putting their works on you. Their legalistic works, you know, and, and, and all these things that, you, you know, really a person needs to do to be saved. And really, it kills your joy. I had this experience. As, as a believer. I was walking with the Lord. I was, I was just joyful that, you know, I, I fell away from the Lord, and the Lord drew me back. And me and my friend, we were bringing our Bibles to work. And I was just so excited just to have my sins forgiven and to be walking with Christ. He says, hey, i got to bring you over to my uncle's house. I'm like, yeah, sure. He's a Christian. Let's do it. And so I, you know, I get brought over to his house, and here comes this older gentleman. He comes out and he starts telling me that because I wasn't baptized in Jesus' name, I was going to hell. And I was like, I, I, I really I went home and I cried. <laughs> I was like, oh man, what's going on, you know? And, um, you know, praise the Lord that, you know, the Lord had men in the church here, in this church, to kind of help me and, and um, teach me what I believe. But man, it's, I know that feeling of being troubled. And no doubt this is what these believers thought. You know, first of all, they, you know, they thought they were saved. They were saved out of these paganism, you know, pagan religions. Jews were saved out of the synagogue and turned to God's grace. And now here comes these false teachers, and they were troubling the believers, teaching them that they weren't really saved, that they need to follow their 
their traditions, and Paul wasn't going to have any of it. Now, third, Paul calls their message a perversion. He calls it a perversion. The false teachers probably agreed with Paul, as I said, concerning the content of the gospel, but yet they added works to the gospel, and that's what Paul was referring to here. Now, what are some of those works that they added? Well, we get insight from the book of Acts and also from Paul's references in the book of Galatians, and here, here they are. First, these false teachers taught that in order for the Gentiles to be justified, they needed to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. Circumcision was a requirement under the Mosaic law for a person, for a Gentile converting to Judaism. And so they believed that all the males needed to go under this ritual and then follow the law of Moses. Second, they taught that while you're saved by faith, you're sanctified by works. They were seeking to be made perfect in the flesh. Third, they taught that it was mandatory to observe the Sabbath day, the Jewish feasts, and all the various rituals. We see that in Galatians 4.10. And so while these things might seem like slight modifications, Paul says they weren't slight modifications. They were perversion. They were perverting the gospel. The word perversion means to change something into an opposite or to reverse it. Adding works to grace makes grace no longer grace. Adding works to the gospel of grace makes their message no longer the gospel of grace. Now, concerning defending the gospel against perversion, Paul and the writers of the New Testament give us some very good examples of when to know when someone is perverting the gospel. Kind of helps our ears perk up kind of thing when, when we hear someone you know, teaching something that's, that's not online with what Paul and the, um, you know, and the other apostles taught. We know it is a perversion when they subtract from the gospel or when they add to the gospel. And that's the examples that we see throughout the scriptures. For example, in the New Testament, we see the writers wrote and refuted teaching when they subtracted from the gospel. For example, in Colossians, Paul wrote and refuted a group of false teachers that were denying that Jesus was God. Jude wrote to believers and refuted a group that denied the deity, the, the nature of Christ, that he was God. John, in his epistles, wrote about a group of false teachers that denied that the Son of God came in the flesh. They denied that God became a man. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 and refuted a teaching that was starting to arise about people rejecting the resurrection. And he says, guys, don't do that because if you reject the resurrection, you're going to you're gonna, you know, the bodily resurrection of Christ is going to be rejected. And so by denying who Christ was are these different points they were subtracting from the gospel, which Paul says is not a gospel at all. But, you know, and, and so that's the focus of, you know, these different books. Now, sadly, in our day, there are groups that deny certain aspects of the gospel that Paul preached. For example, the Mormons. They believe that Jesus is a creation of God. They believe that God the Father, who is a man, and his wife through a celestial relationship, had spirit children. And of this spirit children were Jesus and his brother Lucifer. He's no more than a created being. The Jehovah's Witness reject the deity of Jesus Christ in the bodily resurrection. They believe that Jesus was Michael the archangel. He was Jehovah's first created spirit being. And when he came to this earth, he was just a glorified servant of Jehovah. He wasn't God. These are subtractions from the gospel. And, and sadly, um, the gospel they preach isn't a true gospel. Now, second, the writers of the New Testament 
tell us that it's a false gospel when people add additions to the gospel. And in reality, this is actually what Paul's talking about in this epistle. It's kind of like hard to swallow. It's like, wow. I mean, but that's what he's talking about, people who are adding works to the gospel. These group of false teachers are mentioned in Colossians. They were adding legalistic practices and rules alongside the gospel. Jude talked about the other aspect. They were teaching license. They were saying, yeah, not legalism, but you can just go out and do whatever you want. They were denying um, the truth of the scripture. And then in Galatians, the Judaizers were adding works to the law, or adding works to the gospel, which was the law. Now, the cults add works to their message. Majority of the cults are known for the fact that you have to work in order to be saved. The Mormons, Jehovah's Witness. But sadly, some Christian groups add works to, you know, the gospel. We love them, you know, and we're not criticizing the people, but, but you know, their teaching is, is not according to what the Bible says. For example, the Seventh-day Adventists. They teach that a person is saved by keeping the law, such as the Sabbath day and certain dietary rules and rituals. And today there is an investigative judgment going on, and God is going to determine whether you keep the law, and, you know, and that will determine whether you're actually saved or not, whether you keep the law. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that a person is continually saved by keeping the holy sacraments. So you're not saved by faith alone, but you're saved by continual keeping the sacraments, these rituals. And this is what the reformers had a problem with. And Martin Luther used this book. And many church, saints throughout church history, from, you know, from Paul throughout church history, read the Fox Book of Martyrs, were put to death for saying, yeah, this is a hill that I'm going to die on. This is a hill that I'm going to stand for, the gospel of grace through faith alone. And so, you know, and so this is what, you know, they believe the Bible taught, and it does teach in the book of Romans and specifically here in the book of Galatians. So we, like Paul, must know the gospel of grace. We need to preach it. We need to defend it. We must take the hill because lives are at stake and held captive by legalism. Now the third, in verses 8 through 9, we see we're to defend the gospel of grace because preaching a false gospel brings judgment. Look what Paul says in verses 8 through 9. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be cursed. Now, just by the way, Paul is saying this. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, let him be accursed. It's harsh, serious words. In verses 6 through 7, Paul addressed the message of these false teachers and its outcome. Now, in these two verses, Paul talks about these false teachers and their outcome. Paul, with God-given authority, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, said, if anyone, whether they're an apostle or whether they're an angel from heaven, if they preach a different gospel than the gospel of grace, which he preached to them, let them be accursed. Paul, thought, Paul said here that he taught this when he was in Galatia. He, he said this, now he's going to say it again. He said it three times. He taught them this in Galatia, and he quoted it twice here in these verses. He was very straightforward and clear that they were not to receive the message from these false teachers. Now, Paul is communicating a solemn warning to these believers that they were not to receive the message that these false teachers were bringing them. And he said the reason they were not to do that is because anybody who preaches a different gospel is accursed. The Greek word here, I'm told, is anathema. 
Now, I'm told that this Greek word, accursed, is the same as the Hebrew word, harem, which is the curse that God put upon Jericho for their sin. You see, God said that entire city and everything in it was to be devoted to destruction. And as a result of the Israelites, um, you know, as a, as a result of their sin, the Israelites were to go in and they were to destroy the city and everything in it. They were not to take anything from it because of this curse. It was devoted to destruction. It was anathema. Well, in the same way, Paul says that these false teachers who preach a different false go- who preach a false gospel are devoted to destruction. So therefore, just like us going to Jericho, we're not to take anything from it. We're not to touch it. We're not to have, any- have anything to do with it. We're to stay away from it. And I-, I believe that's what Paul is seeking to communicate here. He says, guys, don't receive their materials. Don't receive their message. Don't receive their teachings. Anybody who preaches this message is devoted to destruction. Now, fourth and finally, in verse 10, we see that we are to preach and defend the gospel because it pleases God, because it pleases the Lord. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You see, the false teachers accused Paul of being a man-pleaser. They came in and said, yeah, when Paul, when he's around Jews, he acts like a Jew, but when Paul is with Gentiles, he kind of scratches the whole law thing, and now he just talks about grace. And he does that because he doesn't want the Gentiles to be offended. He wants, he wants to convert them, so he's leaving stuff out. He's basically teaching a seeker-friendly message, a seeker-friendly gospel to, to win these people. And Paul said, I'm not doing that at all. Paul said, I'm seeking to please God and not men. Paul believed that by preaching the gospel of grace, by defending the gospel of grace, Ultimately, he was pleasing God because God called him as a bondservant. A bondservant was someone who willingly surrendered their life to their master. They were bought with a price. They served their master. We're told in, in the law, and after the six years, they can make a choice on whether they would choose to serve their master for life. And that's what Paul did. He devoted his life to serve Christ with all of his life. Christ was his master, and Christ was the one who gave him his marching orders. His marching orders was to go into all the world, just like us, and preach the gospel of grace and defend it if need be. So Paul was a messenger of grace, and we're to imitate him and follow his example. And the way that we do that is by preaching the gospel and defending it if need be.